0: To the Pharmacy Podcast Network.
1: This is The Pain Pod. You want to see pain? Look at these. Welcome to The Pain Pod, the podcast for all things pain management. Hosted by the pain guy, Dr. Mark Grofalee. We'll be collaborating with numerous pain management experts, talking about substance usage disorders, the latest treatment modalities, and most important, important, focusing on the pain of our patients as leading providers of pain care. And now, here's our host, a man wanted in all 50 states, a suburban city-like mountain man. Without the beard from the hills of West Virginia, and certified in Weapons of Mass Destruction Response. It's Dr. Mark Garofoli.
0: All right, welcome back Pain Pod Nation. We are coming in hot today. One hot topic, really about 50,000 hot topics all centered around cannabis, cannabinoids, and the whole genre. So for our Pain pot episode today, we have Thug Drugs, Cannabis Edition. Alright, so for any conversation, well that requires words, and words matter, right? Spelling matters too, we've talked about that on previous episodes. For Just Say No with a K-N-O-W. Same kind of theme here today, of course, but um, we well, to have a conversation we want to make sure to have the right words and all the conversations and all the headlines across the country. We know many will be uh, occurring throughout the years, particularly in 2024. But, um, you know, it's kind of like when we talk about opiate and opioids, uh, you know, opiate is anything in the poppy, you know, morphine, codeine, thebane, it's pretty much your heavy hitters. Everything else is opioids. And we typically say opioids for everything else, Right. Yet that's not what the headlines and the manuscript articles and all of this stuff just gets it wrong, right? Um, alas, conversations and research can continue, right? But when it comes to all things cannabis, let's wrap our heads around some of the words mattering first. So as a pharmacist, we'll spell this one, I guess, uh, in the farmer sense, but with a PH. So going to uh, botany. So genus and species when it comes to all things cannabis, we're talking the genus being cannabis. And then there's different species. So it's the same kind of thing that we talk about with other plants. I don't know about you, but I grew up growing some uh, maters, tomatoes, tomato. Hey, words matter, right? Um, but uh, growing those uh, with my grandpa uh, out in his garden. And then, of course, there are farmers markets and grocery stores these days across the country. But there's a lot of different species. You got your aroma. You got your cherry tomatoes. You got your uh, beefsteak. Personal favorite, of course. Uh, But anyways, when it comes to cannabis, we're talking things like cannabis sativa, cannabis indica, cannabis ruderalis, and the reality these days that there's hybrids of everything. Okay. Uh, Lots of variety out there. Now, what about some other words? When we hear hemp, what are we thinking then? Well, that's cannabis sativa. Uh, just like when we're talking about CBD, it's all about the cannabis sativa portion. Um, whereas when we're th- hearing things like marijuana or marijuana or weed, THC, uh, there we're typically uh, you know, talking about things um, you know, like all species, all the types of cannabis species, genus species, along with the hybrids, really concentrating on things like THC as a component along the way. And of course, when you say something like cannabinoids, that's uh, all species or even endocannabinoids. We'll touch on a hot second, of course. Uh, but a big one. Here's a big one. And we don't hear this word a lot, but we hear the description a lot. Semi-synthetic cannabinoids. What the heck is that? Well, just like any other substance, medication, or anything like that, uh, semi-synthetic cannabinoid would be something that's derived, typically from CBD um, within, the, uh, within cannabis sativa. That's enabled by the Farm Bill back in the day, not that long ago. Um, you know, to put CBD out there just about everywhere, and um, you know, labs uh, or various organizations will start with CBD and, and make it other things, and that's where we get a lot of the products that are out there these days. All right, so what about, uh, there's two other big things when it, when we're talking about, you know, uh, terminology here. There's cannabis-based medication and there's medical cannabis or medical marijuana. So cannabis-based medication, that's the stuff that's FDA-approved. We have had FDA-approved cannabinoids for a good while now, some might say for some time. Well, that sounds subjective, right? Uh, But cannabis-based medication could be also referred to as cannabis-derived medications. We're talking about things like our uh, Marinol formulations, um, uh, and then, of course, the uh, natural extracted uh, CBD of Epidiolex uh, for pediatric seizure conditions, so on and so forth. Those are reviewed and more expensive. Let's be real, right? Then you have medical cannabis or medical marijuana. That's pretty much everything that's out there, right, in the other supply chain lots of movement happening and coming uh, when it comes uh, to that genre in our country so let's whittle it down back to some more botany okay obviously we get our uh, cannabinoids from the cannabis uh, genus of plants turns out there's some other plants that actually uh, will include those as well anybody got any rhododendrons out in their yard or go hiking uh, perhaps on the east coast particularly around June. I think it's around Father's Day when the rhododendrons bloom. They're absolutely beautiful. If you go for a hike in the, uh, particularly areas like Pennsylvania, West Virginia, that's my experience, where I'm from, of course. Um, it, it, it's absolutely beautiful uh, to walk through the woods, uh, enjoy the forest and seeing those blooming. They got a little bit in there. Uh, certainly not going to be uh, utilized in the same fashion as cannabis plants. But, you know, there, there's other plants that have them as well, too. Now, speaking of the plants, let's take a little... Uh, hot tub time machine here back to the colonial times our founding forefathers made a decision to go with cotton right Uh, as far as all the industrial utilizations and a big part of our country's history quite frankly Uh, but could have made the choice to go with hemp seeds or hemp stocks or just hemp in general right Um, it it, quite industrial Uh, some might say easier to grow more efficient to grow better for the environment to grow Uh, And making products that could be utilized pretty much wherever cotton is utilized, and a couple more as well too. So yes, the uh, the history of America really can uh, have roots. uh, Puns are everywhere, folks. uh, In all things cannabis. Speaking of history, um, you know, of course, we have uh, thoughts overall with uh, regulation or big picture. Um, You know, lots of movement with that over the years or attempts thereof. Uh, So even when decisions are made. They can be changed. We look no further than ethyl alcohol. Over 100 years ago, it was legal, and then we made it illegal, and then we got it back to legal, right? Same chemical, same stuff. Subjective and applying it to a current uh, society along the way. We're experiencing those ideas now with uh, and have been with cannabis as well. Nothing new, folks. Uh, Typically, though, the extremes are what happen. And when there's prohibition or legalization without any restrictions, that's when there's the most uh, potential harm to society. Somewhere in the middle that we get the uh, least harm to society overall. Now, I mentioned uh, some history, uh, the health hunting forefathers, Um, you know, folks like uh, our, our, you know, very well-known presidents, so on and so forth. Uh, Washington, Jefferson, Adams, they're all known growers of hemp. In fact, I was told by a pharmacist who volunteers at uh, Colonial Williamsburg uh, in Virginia uh, that they actually talk about that on the tours there. Pretty cool, right? Um, it was Hemp was actually legal tender in a couple states like Virginia, Maryland, Pennsylvania, I believe too. Uh, it was in U.S. tinctures and medications at a very high percentage of those tinctures and medicines um, over 100 years ago. Uh, I, I read somewhere where it was about six percent of all uh, medications or drugs contained cannabis extract um, about a hundred years ago. That think about that. Uh, then um, our uh, our neighbors to the south, Mexico, banned the production, sale, and recreational use of cannabis back in the nineteen twenties. Yeah, and then then uh, about half of our states outlawed marijuana. In fact, in uh, there was the nineteen thirty seven marijuana act. I'm emphasizing the um, terminology there because it was spelled with an H because uh, that's actually uh, marijuana. Marijuana is a stigmatic term. It's uh, derived from Mexican Spanish. Uh, but anyways, with the Tax Act in 1937, uh, transferred um, it, it basically brought government and money into the picture. Um, transfers of marijuana were taxed like narcotics. Uh, farmers would purchase a $1 tax stamp. Now, again, think about this. It's 1937. A dollar was a lot different then, right? Um, I mean, these days you can't even get anything in the dollar store for a dollar or any of those stores, right? Uh, Prescribers and dispensers were also taxed on sales at that time too. Fast forward to like the 70s, uh, we had the Waldos uh, come up with 420 as they uh, gathered outside of the Louis Pasteur statue out in California at their high school campus. Uh, just picked a time, and then that was uh, sensationalized by High Times Magazine. And that's where we get the 420 term these days, referring to cannabis utilization. Fast forward to next big one will probably be 1996. That's when California legalized medical marijuana um, first state to do so, to have any movement on the legislation side. Uh, then we had uh, about a decade ago, uh, the DEA um, basically, uh, you know, relooked looked at the idea of uh, reclassifying cannabis, marijuana, so on and so forth. Uh, but there was no um, you know general acceptance of medical utilization at the time, so it continued to be a CS1 uh, But uh, that that's where a lot of questions come in. How could something be illegal at the federal level yet we see it everywhere in society, right? Well that's because Congress typically appropriates one dollar as far as a budget for the uh, enforcement of that law. Uh, so you know enforcement is a big thing as well too. 2018 was the Farm Bill I mentioned that earlier. That's uh, you know allowed CBD being derived from hemp uh, as long as the THC content was less than 0.3 percent, and it would be uh, basically legal to sell as a cosmetic. Now, when those sales happened um, and continue to happen, of course, uh, there's always the big idea of oh, big marijuana money, right? Uh, and we're talking tens, if not hundreds, of millions of dollars for states. The other side of the coin that nobody talks about is that it, that's still a small percentage, usually less than one, per. actually almost always less than 1% of a given state's budget. Because running a state is a lot, you know, there's a higher electric bill than my house. I don't know about yours. I hope so, right? Um, so two sides of the coin there. You'll always get that from pain guy, right? Uh, I mentioned 1996 was when California got the ball rolling. Uh, These days, um, you know, even as far as back in uh, 2023, it's only about six, seven states that didn't have any movement uh, in legislation when it came to marijuana, cannabis overall. Um, But, you know, big picture. I always like to quote uh, Dr. Norval We We actually had her on an episode of the Pain Pod. Um, wonderful conversation. Check that out back in the day. Uh, but here's a quote that was it was in an article for her, but it was also at a graduation speech um, for a university. Uh, she had mentioned illegal uh, drugs. That's all called tobacco. Offer a sobering perspective, accounting for the greatest burden of disease associated with drugs, not because they are more dangerous than illegal drugs, but because their legal status allows for more widespread exposure. Think about that. Leads me to the next thought of, uh, well, the court of public opinion when it comes to all things cannabis, uh, the ship has sailed, folks, right? Because the court of public opinion um, moves much faster than the law, right? So we got to keep that in mind overall. Um, It's, you know, regardless of um, the pharmacology, the science, the legislation, the, the sense of things along the way, the court of public opinion is what really shifts things with impetus. All right, let's shift gears a little bit. Let's uh, go over uh, something that perhaps could be covered in uh, health classes in like middle school. The endocannabinoid system, the ECS, just like any other body system that us humans have, like the skeletal system, uh, muscular skeletal system, so on and so forth. It's there. Okay, it's in us. Uh, You got the CB1 and CB2 receptors. I usually say uh, remembering CB1, um, you know, the physical numeral number one is tall uh, and narrow. So that's a way to remember that the CB1 receptors are typically in the CNS, whereas two, the numeral two is a little bit wider uh, to remember that CB2 receptors are typically out in the immune system and GI tract. We also have things like TRIPV1 coming into play, uh, g coupled proteins, just like we see with opioids, uh, PPARs, um, fatty acid-binding proteins. There, there's a whole bunch of receptors that are out there, just like there's a bunch of enzymes as well within our human ECS, endocannabinoid system. There's two builder enzymes and there's two breaker enzymes, basically. Uh, you're going to you know synthesize uh, endocannabinoids in our body naturally, and then they're going to be degraded to things like arachidonic uh, acid. Think NSAID cascade or steroid cascade, right? Uh, so yes, in our body we have endocannabinoids. Uh, there's really two main ones. There's anandamide or AEA, uh, and then there's 2-arachidonoylglycerol. Uh, Just call that puppy 2AG. Okay. Um, that anandamide, the, it, the word comes uh, from Sanskrit uh, for bliss, joy, or delight, and then it ends with amide because you got some nitrogen going on there, right? Um, the the 2AG I promise to not say to arachidonoglycerol again. Uh, that's basically arachidonic acid. Again, think steroid inset cascade uh, along with diacetoglycerol, a little addition. But these are in our bodies, okay? Turns out there's actually another, um, uh, there's an endogenous cannabinoid reuptake inhibitor. Say that one again and bring it up at any holiday uh, dinner, right? Uh, think like SSRI, but ECRI, if you really want to go along that way. Um, that's actually one of the active metabolites of acetaminophen what yeah uh you know those medications that are grandfathered in that you know we did, did we ever you know put the the info down on text well how's it work well you know we have our thoughts of course and, and we're pretty good at it but you know all right so uh that's the endocannabinoids let's uh hop hop skip and jump on over to the uh phytocannabinoids what's in the plants the mothership cbga cannabidiolic acid that's the one that ends up in the plant being converted to other things like uh, cbg we hear about cbn we hear about but our two heavy hitters of course thc and cbd Unless anyone's been living under a rock, we've heard those words before, right? Uh, now, the structures for THC and CBD are, are pretty similar. When you look at them on a flat piece of paper, I'm told when they are in the 3D form, they're a tad bit different. Uh, but there's, um, I usually say, think of a, a balloon with a string on it. You know, like when a kid loses a balloon at the at an amusement park or something that floats up in the air or that one Disney movie up, I think. Uh, think of that. The, the core structure, the balloon, has a little change in one of the rings or the opening of the ring. Uh, and then the tail, um, it, it doesn't, doesn't necessarily change when you're looking at uh, THC and CBD, but other derivatives it does. So how do THC and CBD work? So THC, pretty straightforward, I guess. Uh, it's a partial agonist. We remember that term from things like buprenorphine. But hey, we got a whole pain pot episode on that one, right? Uh, but So I won't bang the drum on partial agonism here today, but THC is a partial agonist at CB1 and CB2. Remember, we just mentioned those. Uh, CBD, really different. CBD is an antagonist at CB1, so literally the opposite of THC. And then it's also a uh, what I'd call a backseat driver for CB2. But in uh, pharmacological census, we call that a negative allosteric modulator. CBD is a negative allosteric modulator at CB2. What the heck does that mean? It means it's a backseat driver. Um, it'll bind some somewhere near the receptor site and cause the opposite effect. It's a backseat driver, folks. All right. So THC and CBD, um, we we got the structures and you know how the how they're working mechanisms and all that. What about the products? Um, you know, let, let's get to the shelves here for whatever building uh, they're available in. So CBD products. There's different extraction methods. Number one, uh, old school. Still done today, though, is uh, things like ethanol, hydrocarbon, the list goes on. Supercritical carbon dioxide, though, is one of the, not really newer, but the uh, presumably safer. Uh, It's similar to a a pharmaceutical product process uh, where the carbon dioxide uh, is pushed through the cannabis material to extract the exact cannabinoids. That's typically what we're looking for in case you're able to find out how a CBD product is extracted. Now, the products though, here's the big thing. Okay. on the labeling, you're either going to see, uh, I call this FBI. You're either going to see full spectrum, broad spectrum, or isolate. Okay. Full spectrum means that the product is labeled to contain all cannabinoids, not just CBD, not just THC, but all of them, any of them. Broad spectrum is just like that, it but it won't have THC. So as per the labeling, Broad spectrum would be CBD, maybe some other cannabinoids, but not THC. And of course, the CBD isolate is labeled to just have CBD. So full spectrum, everything, broad spectrum, everything, but THC isolate, just CBD. When we're talking about CBD products. Now, that being said, uh, there's uh, been some pretty big studies every year for the last few years uh, going over labeling accuracy. We're talking things like JAMA, even FDA, so on and so forth. And it's still not there, folks. Uh, The leaving accuracy of CBD products um, that that are readily available out there uh, is just not there yet. There's a lot of uh, darts missing the target. But capitalism is improving that. That's the other side of the coin. It's been improving in accuracy. It's just not accurate enough yet. All right, uh, how about helping out our our, uh, our friends, family, customers, patients? Uh, Consumer Reports actually has a guide for uh, shopping for CBD. I'll put it in the show notes here for us. I, one of the things somebody's going to be looking at, though, beyond that FEI, full, broad, and isolate uh, products, uh, you want to have a certificate of analysis. It's a long, boring, almost looks like an Excel spreadsheet, uh, to say, hey, what's in the product? Uh, think urine drug monitoring report. But for a CBD product. Okay. Uh, really, and that's where we see what's actually in the products. Uh, THC, on the other hand, um, well, here's something they didn't teach in middle school health class. So, uh, not just the ECS, uh, but what's the difference between a joint, blunt, and a spliff? Yeah, we just said joint. It's pain pod, folks. We got to go over this stuff to help society. So, joint is actually cannabis rolled up inside of a thin rolling paper. That's it. Whereas a blunt, is a tobacco leave roll with cannabis inside. So you're getting tobacco and cannabis. Uh, Spliff, on the other hand, a little different. That's tobacco and cannabis mixed together in the rolling paper. So like a joint, but like a blunt, you get a spliff. The more you know. Uh, There's also, for THC formulations, there's hashish or hash oil. Uh, That's really high concentration things. Uh, We see uh, other products now, they're, 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 you know, the... The extractions or or the oils are put into various different things. You get cooked with them. People make pizza, muffins, gummy bears, of course, brownies, right? You didn't need this episode to know that. Uh, But then we also see things like uh, candy that looks just like regular candy on the lower shelves at the grocery checkout. Uh, If anybody still goes to the grocery store and doesn't do delivery, right? Uh, And that's one of the issues is that a lot of the products will look just like something that doesn't have THC in it, yet it'll have a high content of it. Got to think about our kiddos, Right. Speaking of which, uh, there's a lot of synthetic cannabinoids. We touched on endocannabinoids, phytocannabinoids. Might as well talk about the synthetic ones, right? That's where things like Scooby Snacks come into play. Uh, I used to uh, go about educating uh, just about every Walmart cashier in Morgantown, West Virginia, uh, when I would bring uh, gummy Scooby Snacks, uh, readily available everywhere. Uh, uh, for human consumption Uh, when i'd be teaching about uh, all things cannabis i'd I'd say hey here you go uh, to everybody out in the audience Uh, the idea is that scooby snacks is also a term for synthetic marijuana Uh, that product will have scooby looking a little bit different on the the thing Uh, but then also (laughs) gotta keep in mind there's also scooby snack uh, graham crackers and dog treats so you know you got four options there's the gummy ones the graham ones that's for us humans. Uh, the uh, you know synthetic marijuana, synthetic cannabinoids, eh, maybe not. I certainly don't want to have the dog treats, right? What about some other synthetic uh, cannabinoids out there these days? So. Everybody's heard about delta-8, put a delta with any number, really. Um, you're just changing a double bond in the main structure of THC. Remember the the balloon with the string, it's up in the balloon in the rings. You change where a double bond is. And that can, that obviously could have a lot of effects, whether we're talking blood-brain barrier or actual effects along the way. Uh, there's also THC-O or THC-O acetate. Uh, that's not actually found in plants. It's semi-synthetic derived from old hemp, CBD. Uh, that could be about three times more potent with a longer uh, half-life or longer effects uh, than than typical THC. And uh, typically folks that are said to report uh, psychedelic trip like experience with, with utilization. Uh, been around for decades though, um but you know picking up uh, some speed these days. There's a lot of different uh, synthetic cannabinoid derivatives for CBD and THC. There's just a lot of them, like you know, dozens, and they they are classified as far as structures and then who made them along the way as well. So, what about uh, you know, we went over history, a little bit of legal stuff, and then the the pharmacology side. Uh, how about utilization and what we do, particularly as healthcare professionals, right? Uh, so, is there a pop PDMP? Whoa, we shifted gears big time there, right? Uh, Well, uh, it wouldn't be a prescription drug monitoring program. Uh, There are, you know, the uh, FDA approved products within that. But I'm talking about like uh, dispensaries. Uh, There's typically laws out there that, you know, limit how much somebody can get in a given state. But then what about the tracking? Uh, There's no tracking set up to prevent someone from just hopping from dispensary to dispensary. That's actually referred to as looping. That's buying the maximum amount of cannabis products at a dispensary after dispensary after dispensary after dispensary. After dispensary. It's called looping. The more you know. All right, um, but again, there's other there's synthetic and extracted products that are uh, on the FDA approved side as well. You know, again, the, the dronabinol products you've got the capsules that are a CS3 liquid CS2, uh, and then you have the extracted natural. CBD product I mentioned earlier, um, which is no longer control, by the way. Um, internationally, we also have in, in the Nabiximols, which is a combination of THC and CBD. Uh, so just keeping that in mind. Uh, there's been a lot of studies out there, particularly review articles in recent years, last five years or so. Uh, American Heart Association actually had a pretty good one back about, about four or five years ago. I think it was in 2020, you know, during COVID times, uh, that went over uh, cannabinoid utilizations and basically said, uh, "Here's a whole list of what's just there's inconclusive evidence for utilization of cannabis cannabinoids. There's possible, and then there was known. The known ones were for pain, eczema, nausea and vomiting, MS, and epilepsy. And if you notice, a lot of those actually are some of the indications for the FDA-approved cannabinoids as well, right?" Um, there was a recent article that uh, just uh, in 2023 that was uh, released, published, uh, that went over the idea of CB products not working in pain. Uh, so I'll include that in the show notes as well, too. Actually, that's on PainGuy.us, which you always want to check out painguide.us uh, for headlines, resources, and and the same. Uh, one other thing, um, there's also the uh, one of the go-to, or if not the go-to for us healthcare professionals, there's the uh, book called Cannabis in Medicine. Ah, uh, the editor is Ken Finn, Doctor Ken Finn. Uh, a little drum roll. We're actually going to have him here on the Pain Pod really soon. Okay, uh, we're going to go over specifically a whole conversation on cannabis cannabinoids in pain management. So I'll jump away from that topic for now, but we'll have uh, Ken here to to dive uh, a tad bit deeper. International All Star in the realm. But in the meantime, what do we do? What do we do as pharmacists? What do we do as healthcare professionals? Well, we typically worry about how something works and then the dose to then result in effects or efficacy and safety in regards to side effects uh, and drug interactions. THC, CBD, cannabinoids uh, have a a plethora, hundreds, I'm told over 500 different drug-drug interactions that will pop up uh, any drug-drug interaction checker. And in reality, which ones are clinically significant is a whole other ballgame. But that's a ballgame we're used to, particularly as pharmacists, right? Uh, There's, you you know, fill a med order or dispense a prescription and up comes the DRs and there's lots of drug-drug interactions, right? We have to distinguish clinical significance. Same thing here with uh, THC and CBD. Probably one of the easiest ways of going about that is to, you know, you can utilize any of the drug-drug interaction online databases uh, and see what they say. If if you can't type in THC or CBD, you can always utilize the FDA-approved products that are in there. Uh, but there's a lot of CYP450 uh, hepatic uh, interactions with all the heavy hitters. You're talking like, uh, you know, 3A4, 2D6, so on and so forth. There's also protein binding interactions. That's actually a big one, typically ends up with clinical significance um, along the way. And then uh, sedatives, you know, if you're talking about a THC product with sedative uh, potential, uh, you want to watch out for other medications with sedative properties as well. That's really the big bucket of the three ideas there: the SIPS, the protein binding, and the sedatives. As far as adverse effects, uh, not going to insult anybody's intelligence there. I mean, you know, certainly things like uh, if it's THC, sedation, disorientation, dizziness, so on and so forth. Uh, there's also the cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome. I'm sure you've heard of that one recently, and really over the last decade, a lot. Um, the idea there is with these high potency products that are available, people are getting doses that are just through the roof, um, and that's leading to this, can- this CHS cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome, puking everywhere and always. Interestingly enough, what helps with that is extremely hot baths or showers. That's that's interesting. Uh, we're we're learning that perhaps the v one receptors come into play with that. Um, not quite there just yet, of course. I mentioned those um, the high potency products. That's, uh, we'll probably end with that here today. So that's, that's really a big one. Okay. Um, you think about, let's go back to alcohol again. Okay. We had beer everywhere and then it became illegal and then liquor flourished at a much higher potency or proof as we call it. And then things went back to legal and we had both. We're literally seeing the same things here with all things cannabis. Okay. There's the, you know, the most would say, well, the joint that your grandma smoked back, uh, you know, 50 years ago is different than today's. Absolutely. Just like anything else, we're getting higher potency in everything. Just like cannabis products, and that's what's leading to a lot of concerns. It's it's not necessarily, uh, you know, all respect and compassion to those with any lives lost. It's not like the overdose death concerns. Uh, there's relatively minimal of that uh, with all things cannabis. The concern is the high potency products leading to ER visits. Okay, that that significantly uh, affects somebody's life. Nobody wants to go to the ER uh, for uh, an experience that is not too enjoyable, right? Uh, So, you know, some of the specifics in that regard, you know, uh, like a joint back in the and I'll have the references in the notes here, folks, because, again, it's it's general. Uh, But, you know, back in the 60s, 70s, 80s, a joint was probably about 2 percent THC So you get like maybe 10 milligrams or so. Fast forward to like this decade and they're probably about 10 percent THC. So you're getting about 50 milligrams. And then there's the extracts that have like 90 percent. So that's where we're seeing the concerns these days, right? Um, by the way, if you look at, um, you know, some like the, the FDA approved products, you're talking like single digit milligrams as far as a dose for THC or CBD, generally speaking. So, you know, I, the way I'd end with it would be, uh, you know, good old Charlie Brown, um, our oldest son just loves watching Snoopy and, and peanuts and all that. Uh, he's always saying good grief, right? Um, well, in this case, these days, it's big leaf, great grief not just good grief. That's where our concerns are coming because it's all about the dosage, baby. You've heard me uh, always talk about Paracelsus and paraphrasing him, of course. That's where we're at. It's all about the dosage and the relying on what the actual products are. So when we want to help our patients, we want to help our communities, our family and friends, and have those pivotal conversations. Hopefully, some of the information we went over in this uh, pretty quick episode here of The Pain Pod uh, can help with that. Um, We will follow up with a much more in-depth conversation on cannabis and cannabinoids within pain management. I promise you that, Pain Pod Nation. We'll have Dr. Ken Finn here. We'll be going into that um, much, much more. But hopefully this information here can help us all with all of our conversations and helping others across the country. So I, I thank you, um, you know, for sticking through here in this episode, uh, getting a little bit of a higher education, you know, uh, going above the smoke, above the fog. Yeah, the puns are always there, folks. Uh, but hopefully this information on all things cannabis, drug drugs, cannabis, can really help all of us within our communities. Until the next time, folks, Pain Pod Nation, have a great day every day.
1: If you'd like to join Mark on the pain pod, send us an email to publisher at pharmacypodcast.com and make sure to share the show and subscribe on your favorite podcast directory. Thanks for listening.